There we go. Sending data. We're online now. It is Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Thank you so much for joining in today to the Conservation Conversation. Today is a very, very special show because today is a day that we are all sort of working with and dealing with this uh, coronavirus panic and uh, a lot of different things going on. A lot of different people uh, have a lot of different theories about it and a lot of a lot of different approaches to it. But today, what we really want to talk about is how it is an example of this worldwide issue that's even a little bit uh, bigger than just this one coronavirus now. And we should discuss all that. Hey, Andrea, thanks for being on the show today. Good, good. And, and everybody, um, as you know, uh, many of you know, I'm Eric, your host. If you're just tuning in for the first time, what makes this show really unique is please go to the comments. And whether you are on YouTube or you are on Facebook, your comments will make it on screen. And we'd love to hear what you have to say. That's the beauty of the show here is it's called the Conservation Conversation because we can all learn from each other. So, hey, Valerie, thanks for joining us. And uh, here we go, everybody. We're going to start it up. As we always say, it's our world. Let's talk about it. All right, and we are back. So today we're going to talk about the ecology of disease. And this is a fascinating term. Uh, and I'm actually, it's going to be, there was an article in the New York Times and that was titled The Ecology of Disease. And it was a fascinating article. I encourage everybody to read it. And what we're going to do is we're actually going to use the article's foundation as the springboard for our conversation today. Hey, Dirk. Oh, man, it's nice to see you on here today. I really appreciate you, you know, being here. Um, always good to see uh, friendly faces. Barbara. Hey, Barbara. Nice to see you. Thanks for joining in. You know, and as I was saying, you know, there's so many varieties of uh, reactions to coronavirus. And the thing that we need to do is is really understand where this these viruses come from so that we can stop them on a bigger level. Um, here we go. So one thing we're going to do is what I wanted to do is start off with the uh, the one I was talking about here, the ecology of disease. If you go to the New York Times, amazing article by Olaf Hadjik, and it actually lays a lot of different facts out. So one thing that I wanted to do was bring a few of their definitions in early so that we can sort of understand what's going on. So the ecology of disease is actually a term used by biologists and economists to understand the relationship between nature and man's effect on it. And I just see now that my autocorrect <laughs> changed the word by. So there we go. Um, now, this is important because disease has been proven to be an environmental issue. Think about that. With over 60% of infectious diseases we catch originating in animals and then handed to us through uh, what is called a zoonotic process. These zoonotic diseases means that the, uh, these diseases and these viruses, which are basically just viruses that live inside of these animals naturally, get mixed into our ecology and then we inhabit them in and then they turn into diseases inside of us. So um, anyway, fascinating fact on that. It represents about 75% of the newly emerging diseases. 
that are currently affecting people. Now, just to get into that a little bit more, because, because there, there is, is a lot of conflict over this idea, is, uh, oh, hey, Jason, thanks for joining today. And uh, let's see, Andrea says, thank you for sharing this with us. It's the perfect moment to receive answers. So true, you know, we, we, as we are uh, all worried about, like I said, the, the, you know, what's happening in the virus, what, what I think what we're learning is that how we treat nature is how nature treats us. Now, we have been destroying ecosystems and we have been uh, decimating animal populations all around the world. And this throws everything out of balance. And we're going to see it actually in an exact example of how this leads to these types of diseases. Um, now, again, you know, this article was fascinating. It really goes into it. One of the things that they hone in on uh, are bats, which have certain viruses inside of their bodies that are not harmful to each other. But what happened was is a lot of these bats lived in their own areas. Hey, Corley, thanks for being on today. You know, it's a really, this is an exciting show. I'm glad you're here because, Corley, I know you eat very healthy, and uh, I know you're probably fighting back uh, to, you know, to keep your immune system up by eating super healthy. And everybody, make sure to do that. As you can see behind me, oranges, um, bananas, apples. Just make sure you try to keep your immunity up in a natural fashion, um, especially right now when, when nobody really knows what's, what's going on. So uh, anyway, back what we were talking about today is how these diseases are spread. Now, we were talking about the bats that have their own viruses uh, inside of them that are not harmful to each other. And, you know, they eat and they drop all this food and it gets on the ground. And uh, generally for thousands of years, it's been no problem. But with recent, what we found is that um, the farmers were expanding their territories and domesticated pigs were ending up on these plots of land. And what was happening was that they were eating these little pieces of fruit that the bats had been eating that fell out of their mouths and they started eating them. Then the people started eating the pigs. And what you have now is a virus that is highly dangerous to humans um, that, you know, has been transferred from the bats and it actually manifests in several. And there's actually multiple other examples of how these effects happen in the Ecology of Disease article. Hey, Molly. Thanks. Oh, I'm echoing? All right. Thanks, Molly. Let's see. Good to know. You know what? I see what's going on here. Hopefully, now I'm no longer echoing. So if I am, let me know, and uh, hopefully that fixes it. <laughs> Molly, I just, I added the echo effect. I wanted to have a very, uh, yeah, make that very powerful sounding. <laughs> so, you know, another great example is uh, Lyme disease, especially on the East Coast in America. What happened was a lot of these uh, diseases were not there until the humans started moving in and infecting certain areas. And once the people started to interact, then you have... Um, natural animal wild-born viruses being moved into domesticated animals which are eventually being brought to where's my other hand being brought to the people so it's a terrible chain but it's one that we need to understand if we are going to understand that the fact that the coronavirus is one example of how our species is now becoming unbalanced in the same way that we unbalance so many other species in our ecosystem so, you know, this is the first time we felt repercussions of our actions. A lot of people like to deny that there's climate change. Um, this is a fantastic example of how our effect of nature directly affects us. So, again, it happens in multiple ways. One is that we start to go into areas we weren't normally in, areas that if we didn't have all the technology we had, we probably wouldn't go into as humans. You know, there are places we just would not live where the animals live, and those animals have their own viruses. And then we've started to interact with them and 
their diseases and what's happening with them is now moving into our ecosystems, causing a lot of a lot of diseases. This, by the way, also goes with fish. When you're talking about fish, you got to remember fish fraud is so rampant in the USA that over 80% of the fish tested showed to be mislabeled. Now, why this is important is when you have reef fish or you have uh, fish that come from warm waters, they have certain toxins that fish that come from cold waters don't. So uh, chefs that may be working in cold water areas are receiving warm water fish and they don't know how to prepare them, leaving in certain neurotoxins and poisons. And people have actually died from eating the wrong kind of fish. So that's one area that we have there. Hey, Camilla, thanks for joining in. I uh, appreciate it. Uh, okay, good. I'm glad to hear that the echo is gone. Um, didn't want that effect on there. And hey, Michelle, thanks for joining. Uh, how's, I wonder how everything's going down there in Florida. I know you work in the healthcare industry in Florida and um, uh, hoping everybody's safe. And, and this goes for, I just hope everybody's family is safe right now. And uh, hopefully anybody that does uh, have this virus at the moment is able to handle it um, and be okay. Hey, Carrie, nice to see you here. Thanks for being, thanks for being here with us today. Um, so, okay, so we talked about how the humans kind of encroach in areas. And as we encroach in new areas, uh, natural born animal viruses do become involved and ingested into us. And again, that goes with fish. So please be careful. Now that, that brings me to the second point, which is uh, bushmeat. Uh, one very famous example that involves the ecology of disease um, is bushmeat. Now, uh, let's see, what I wanted to talk about today was one of the most famous ones, which is AIDS. And amazingly enough, um, AIDS crossed into humans from chimpanzees in the 1920s when bush meat hunters in Africa killed and butchered them. So what they were doing was eating uh, meat that had these natural viruses in it that then unlocked something within our system and gave us a bigger virus. Now, this is one very strong example of how that happens. And the reason I want to bring this up today to my friends that eat meat my friends that are still eating meat out there, it's a very cautious time. There are over 180,000 pounds of bush meat smuggled into the U.S. every year. Now, if you're familiar, in 2016, uh, we dis disbanded the country of origin labeling law. Um, short For short, it's called COOL. And when we got rid of that, that means that any meat's allowed to come into the United States. And once it's processed into the United States, it gains the label being a product of the United States. So in this time when everybody's being cautious to not go to the movie theater, we're gonna, well, we should expand that a little bit. And I want you to think about what's happening. And you have to remember that a lot of, of chicken as well is sent out of the country for processing in um, other countries, poorer countries, and some richer countries like China. I mean, China's a richer country than we are. Goes, a lot of our meat goes there and comes back. Uh, and please remember that without country of origin labeling you don't really know unless you're buying local farms, you don't know exactly what's happening. So maybe this is a good time for all of us to go back to our local farmers and find a way. Um, but be careful of this, what has turned into an international uh, industry. And now we have an international incident. So one thing we can do is limit our international touch. And one way to do that is by staying away from things that are processed like that. And remember, you may have eaten bushmeat, you may have not. For my friends that do not know what bushmeat is, um, let me tell you, bushmeat is things that come from animal um, that they go out and they just take from the bush and eat it no matter what. And that does include monkeys. It includes all kinds of um, tarp. It includes uh, antelope. 
it includes um, tiger, it includes, you know, basically anything, anything that people kill out there, they will turn and eat it into bushmeat. And it generally does not follow sanitary practices, bushmeat. So again, bushmeat is really a major issue. Um, and we have a lot of it being smuggled in um, through the poachers in Africa. So if you ever eat something and you think, I don't know, does this seem right? Follow your instincts, because at this point, without this country of origin labeling law, you don't know what's going on. Now, if you want to, one thing we want to talk about is how to fight back, because it's important. You know, we are going through a crisis, but there's more important things that we can do aside from just staying home and washing our hands. What we need to do is change it because coronavirus is one of many that's going to come at us now because we have created an imbalance in nature. So the only thing we can do is fight to get that balance back. And it's very important. And we need uh, we need politicians and legislation's help to do that. Uh, crazy enough, but they are the people that have led us down this path by loosening all of these things that used to keep us safe. And we need their help now because we're in a new realm. You know, what we see today in 2020 is not what happened in 1930 or 1970. Um, the environment has been changed and altered, whether you believe that it had altered naturally or you believe that uh, all the pollution has a direct relationship to it. Um, we have to remember that and we have to remember we're in a new world. So one thing you can do is there are a few senators, I'll put the link down here after we're done. There are a few senators that are actually trying to bring back country of origin labeling laws. And I think that if you're buying stuff, you deserve to know where it comes from. Um, and again, this is for my friends that still eat meat. Um, be careful. And, and if you can, stay with your local um, farmers. Um, so Camilla says, uh, there are now also reports of about, uh, whoops, here we go. Sorry, I guess I'm going to make this, I'm getting older. It's harder to read now. <laughs> so Camilla says, there are also reports, again, of bird flu in India. And, but they have not been reported mainstream. You know what? That's a great point. We're actually going to talk about that. There's a huge influx of dengue fever right now in Peru. And this, again, comes back to human wild animal interaction and how we have unbalanced the entire world around us. So now these viruses are, are actually able to thrive. Andrea says, wow, thank you. I had no idea about this. For sure, we need to adapt our habits and what is happening nowadays. And that's the beauty of it is we can change the future by what we do today. We always talk on this show about the root, the revolution of routine. You know, uh, these things are forcing us to do new things. And you know what? Some of these things are good habits and new habits that we can all bring in. To be conscious of where our food comes from, to be conscious of our local farmers, to be conscious of what the politicians are allowing to happen to our food supplies. Um, this brings me to another point. This is the first time in the U.S. where, I mean, people are panicking, but the thing is, is it is a... Um, the reason they're panicking is we're having uh, food insecurity, which is what the term is called. Now, food insecurity happens all around the world. Most of the countries I've traveled to actually live in a constant state of fear because of food insecurity. And this leads them to do things like poaching. I mean, I'm, you know, it's a very complicated topic. If everyone in America right now seeing all these empty shelves could just imagine for me that they just shut the stores down and there was nowhere else to eat, the restaurants closed and the stores closed, and there you find yourself. That's food insecurity. And we're experiencing it on a slight level and we're panicking. But we have to remember that a lot of third world, as we call them third world countries, which are really just countries exploited by large business. They're not third world countries. You know, they didn't, don't have a history of poverty. They've been exploited and, uh, and really screwed over for the most part by major companies. But if we think about this, these people live this day to day. So, you know, this is another reason we need to change this because our habits 
as mass, mass, mass consumers of having everything all the time, keep a lot of these countries in poverty and keep them in this food insecurity. And when you're in your food insecurity right now and you're scared you're not going to get your toilet paper or your whatever from your grocery store, remember that because you can go into a store any day and buy that, it keeps a lot of the people uh, around the world very poor to the point where they don't even have that option. So um, it's affecting us. Let's take, let's, take, let's take a moment and let's absorb that in. And let's remember, because we need to change how we take from the world from this point forward, if we're going to have any kind of an impact. And we have an opportunity. The scientists always say that in 2015, I mean, in 2050, uh, fisheries will collapse. They're already starting to collapse. And a lot of the ecosystems will collapse. And a lot of this has to do with overdevelopment. And we're getting into new places. And we are destroying ecosystems. Everything happening in the Amazon is a big no-no. It shouldn't be. Nobody should be talking about it and justifying it. Um, the U.S. is about to allow oil companies to go in and destroy our natural lands, and they're giving people all these wonderful talking points about it. But in fact, all they're going to do is go in, destroy the ecosystem, destroy the wildlife, and eventually unleash even more incredible coronaviruses upon us. Coronaviruses that might actually kill us on impact, whereas this one, you know, um, isn't quite that so. Uh, anyway, uh, Molly says, replying to Camilla, I saw that. So yeah, fascinating. Um, Camilla, so grateful McDonald's has closed here, and Camilla's in the UK. Um, still delivery, but one last animal-based toxic food stuff eliminated. Yes, and you know what? That's another thing. We need to keep our immune systems up. And, you know, we used to eat on a basis of convenience. And for since the 30s or 40s, when food very, very much became industrialized throughout the entire country, um, but, you know, until then, it was small farmers that were providing for their local areas, and everything was fine. We actually, we had glass bottles. Everything was fine. We didn't have plastic trash. The farmers were doing great. Now today, here we are, and, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the local farmers have been put out of business by the major corporations, and then the major corporations are using pesticides, all kinds of issues, sending it overseas, bringing it back, and we are all getting sick. So, again, let's use this coronavirus not as a way to discuss what may or may not be happening, if it's a plot or uh, if you know whatever people tend to, to you know i've seen a lot of interesting things about it but the one thing we have to remember is how we affect the nature and our world around us is how the nature will affect us to save ourselves we need to save nature and to save nature we need to save ourselves we are one in each you know all of nature lives inside each of our heartbeats and us live inside of nature through every heartbeat that we have so we have this incredible relationship, and we've had it severed in so many places. And this is the time where you see it organically happening. Everybody's coming back to thinking more about the earth. And that's why the Ecology of Disease is an important article today. Again, if you have not read the article, go to the New York Times, Ecology of Disease, outstanding amount of research put into that article that really will explain how these diseases are transferred. And it's even more, um, we're just even more connected than you could ever imagine. Hey, Carrie's on today. Hey, Carrie. Uh, thank you. And you know what? Absolutely. Let everyone know what they can do to help. Carrie, that's a great point. Here's the thing. So often in conservation, people feel um, overwhelmed because look at what's happening. I mean, you know, who thinks you can fight the coronavirus? Okay, you can't fight the coronavirus right now, but you can fight another one from happening. Now, one of the things we have in our midst, in our powers, and we were going to talk about this later, but uh, Carrie brought it up and I want to go to it right now, is we have the power to vote. All right. Now, there is a place called the League of Conservation Voters, and you can go to that. You can Google it. I'll put the link on my, on my thing when we're all done. Now, if you look at this, it's an environmental scorecard 
You can go to the Senate. You can go to the House. You can select your party you want to you want to investigate. You want to look at the issues that they're involved in. How did they vote? This is what's most important because we, you know, presidents come and go, leaders come and go, agencies stay. EPA, absolute nightmare right now. We need to vote and we need to change things based on um, our leaders and based on who's going to make these decisions. And now here's the thing. I'm, I'm not political and I don't want, I don't think environmentalism is political. It's polit It's affected by politics every day. So on that sense, it's very important. But regardless of your party, right now is the time parties are, I'm sorry, uh, you probably may or may not agree with me, but they're somewhat a thing of the past and we need to reframe our priorities. It doesn't really matter if um, you know, you're gonna get this tax cut or that tax cut, because everything changes all the time. And at least in my lifetime, I've never seen, so you know, everybody go, yay, <laughs> you know, like, this has been amazing. Uh, all of our taxes were cut and life is good now. Uh, politicians are just a bunch of windbags generally. So they don't really help us. What we need to do is fight for what's true. And that is to, to vote for the environment and to forget your party. As I always say, please don't look at the, Please don't look at the environment through the lens of your party, but look at your party's politicians through the lens of the environment. Uh, go to the League of Conservation Voters, and they have been tracking every politician in the Senate and in the House. Who are these people? Most people don't even know who their senators are. Or, they, I'm, you know, I'm not even 100% sure. I, I should have Googled that before I came on. But I just, I'm like everybody else. If I say, hey, who's your, who's your, who's your uh, House of Representative? Um, who's, who's in there voting for you? You know, most people don't know. Not only do they not know, they don't know what they're voting on. Um, it's a lot of being kept obscure. So remember, the one thing that we do have the power to do is vote and make a difference. And the way that we can do that is by voting for the environment. Voting for the environment. It's the only thing we can do. We can go out there, we can still protest, we can do direct direct action like I like to do. Um, you know, go on the front lines, we can make documentaries, which is important, we need awareness. Um, we can make incredible YouTube videos and you know, those can bring tons of awareness. And I bring up somebody like Mike Nepper down in Florida that has changed the entire conversation about what's happening down there by doing drone footage and YouTube videos and for free educating. And this is where we are. We're in a new, we're in a new world where we need to educate each other. Um, the powers that be, the people that are mostly in charge, the people that everybody believed back in the 50s aren't the same people anymore. We now can relate to each other better. We have educated ourselves. We still need scientists. We still need people in charge. You know, we still need these people to help us, but we can educate each other. Um, Carrie is a great example. She has made an amazing documentary um, called Breaking Their Silence. And if you have an opportunity and it's in your area, please watch it because it's about revolution. It's about people using their hearts to fight for nature and change the future as a result. And this is very, very important. Um, your sound bites need to be logged somewhere. Oh, thanks, Gary. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, you know, I really, I feel like this is a very important time. And this is a time where we we can't be watching these stupid political ads or even listening to these stupid political debates. What we need to do is go look at the uh, League of Conserva uh, Conservation Voters. Go to that website, educate yourself. Go to, um, you know, we have a couple other links we'll put in there. You can see who funds your, your politicians. Your politicians are gonna go in and the problem is 
is they're all career politicians. If they work in the Senate or the House, they've been there for 90 years, um, you know, except for a few new fresh faces that are going to go in and change things around a little bit, which is what we need. Um, uh, yes, Molly says, uh, Carrie, please, if you can post a link um, even to the trailer for your documentary or any info on your documentary, uh, please let us see that because this is another amazing thing. Now, um, I'm not going to give away too much about Carrie's documentary, but it does take place on the front lines of the poaching wars uh, down in Africa, South Africa. And remember, this is a place where a lot of the bushmeat problems are coming in. We're having issues not only with ivory, rhino horn, but there's also bushmeat. And again, I'd like to bring it back to all my friends that eat meat. Be careful because you're not allowed to know if that meat is bushmeat or not. You're only allowed to know if it was processed in the United States. Uh, again, I will put a link down there. There are a few senators that are trying to get this country of origin labeling law back. And again, we need to just work with whoever's in there fighting for our interests. And who are they? We don't really know. If you think about it, everyone knows who Biden is and Bernie is and who Trump is, but nobody knows who the two senators are that are currently fighting for the country of origin labeling laws, which is probably the most important thing that anybody's doing at the moment in Congress. Uh, there's also anti-finning um, finning bills in uh, Florida that are essential. There are um, new anti-ivory um, uh, changes that are happening. So we have this. Uh, Carrie, thank you. BreakingTheirSilence.com. And um, yeah, everybody, super powerful film. And the beauty is we now have an opportunity with, uh, with, with where we are now to educate each other. I was thinking about this today. A lot of, a lot of people, I'm 47, I'm 47. So a lot of you that are my age, if you think back to the days, I don't know, if you ever had to like go to the computer lab to first use a computer, you'll understand that we kind of, we grew up in the dark ages, you know, like only thing we knew was on one of our four stations we got um, back in the day. You know, if you could get the tinfoil antenna to even work properly for some of those stations. So, you know, I just bring that up because we lived in the dark ages and we have such an amazing time right now where we have the internet, we have the power to educate each other. And this is what's really important. Uh, and that's why I'm really excited about today's conversation because we have everybody uh, together. Now, one thing I wanted to talk to you about is um, the other aspect of us encroaching into, into the areas. Um, this is really, this is more dangerous than ever. And I wanted to bring up again this dengue fever because it hasn't been spoken about much. But as of February 2020, more than 15 kids have died from dengue so far in Peru. And this is where I was uh, in 2017. Uh, cases reported have increased sharply since last year in Peru and Bolivia. In Peru, more than 4,360 cases have been reported in the first eight weeks of this year in the regions of Madre de Dios, Lerida, and San Martin. Now, uh, Lerido is the area that I was in. That is the area with the Quitos and the area um, with a very famous live animal market. Now, I want to get into live animal markets real fast. I know we're talking about so much stuff today, but there's so much to consider. Now, when we start, first started hearing about Corona, all we heard was that um, the Chinese people had live animal markets and, um, and, and I heard some horrible things, but you know, people saying they get what they deserve for doing this. And it's been actually a very contentious time. Um, so, you know, the one thing we want to talk about, first of all, is to dispel that myth that the live market is the birth of it. Um, we do get a lot of diseases from animals, but the live markets are, are problematic in many other fashions. Uh, and they're very disturbing. I myself have been to uh, several of these live markets 
And what you see is quite terrible, at least from my uh, Western perspective. Um, but again, if we bring back to the fact that most of these people live with food insecurity, the same panic that everybody's having right now is what these people, that's the day to day. Uh, it's not going to end down there. There is no leaving the food insecurity. Now, what we found in the Amazon is that more and more people uh, were trying to move into the Amazon. And what happens is they start to um, kill all the birds that are there. And then what happens is none of the birds are eating the mosquitoes. So there's a huge uptick in mosquitoes. And, you know, you have to get the yellow card. You know, you have to get a yellow card to go down there. Um, so you have the yellow fever immunizations. There's, they, they spray for dengue. They spray for a few other diseases. And, but they're all mosquito-borne. So, you know, I wanted to bring this around because it's not just some wild live market <clears throat> and now suddenly there's some kind of karmic horror show. Uh, the fact is, is that we've altered our natural environment so much. This is the manifestations of the changes that we have caused. Um, and if people are afraid to call it climate change, then it doesn't matter because it's going to be, you could be calling it food change soon enough. Um, it doesn't matter what you call it. The fact is, is our activities do affect the world around us, regardless of what a major corporation will tell us. We know this for fact. We're, we all actually know this. Um, you know, we know this. I mean, there was lead in the paint, you know, in the 70s. And everybody said, it's fine. You know, um, the government pushed you know, um, DDT, which we now know causes cancer, and said it's fine. So we have to remember that, you know, we need to educate ourselves and we need to move forward this way. And the thing is, again, it comes back to we go, we eliminate one species, we lose our balance and our balance starts to disappear. Suddenly, like I said, uh, all these poor children, 15 children have died um, in the U.S. as a result of dengue fever. And it's not because they don't have the medicine down there. It's not because, and, and many of you may be surprised to know that hospitals around the world are pretty on par with each other, even in these countries that you probably think that these kids get sick and they put them in like an outhouse in a shack or something and they die. No, they have hospitals. Their doctors are just as good. The medicine is just as good. They may have to go to a bigger city for more complicated things, but uh, there's knowledge and medicine everywhere. And the reason these children are dying is because we're getting mutants hybrid diseases, just like coronavirus. Well, there already was a coronavirus. COVID-19 is a, a hybrid of that. So we're not, you know, these are hybrids. Uh, my cancer is a hybrid. That's why I can't be treated. They don't know what it is. Uh, there's so many new hybrid cancers out there and people I've spoken to that also are encounter this. And it comes again from us destroying the world around us. And the world around us is not punishing us. It's just that our, you know, we had a natural design and we had our place and we were fine, you know, and once we broke our place, then, uh, you know, we started to catch things that we shouldn't have. So it's it's all on us. It's all on us to change it. And we can change it. And that's the beauty of it is, you know, it's not just a, a, a crazy thing. And again, I want to bring back to, you know, uh, another example that probably isn't the best example. But, you know, uh, right now we're facing a, an issue and. We're just being told to stay home, which, you know, um, I just want to say, like, you know, one of the last times it was, for example, when, you know, when polio was hitting everywhere, they didn't just tell everybody to stay home. They figured out how to solve it. Um, this is another thing, like internationally, the stock markets are crashing because I don't know if anybody believes in their leaders, um, which is fine. 
I think we've all come through the illusion. Again, the leaders were fantastic when we didn't have the internet and we lived in the dark ages. But we now know that policies are controlled through other legislative bodies. And they're the ones that we really need to focus on. So again, you have the power to change it all through two ways. One, go to that website, the conservation, uh, the League of Conservation Voters. Check out your favorite politicians. See how they are environmentally. Maybe you still want to vote for them, but you can ask them to change their environmental policies. So there are a lot of ways to affect the government around us. Um, we have to work with them. They are the ones that will pass these laws. So how do we do it in our benefit? Because for the last 50 years, we have not done it in our benefit. And this is important. This is how we reclaim what we have. The second is, as we always talk about, revolution through routine, right? Um, if you take your reusable cup to Starbucks, if you, you know, every, every little thing that you do, every teeny action that you do, if you're like me and you go to the beach, you're going to pick up some trash, you know, you're going to pick up some plastic and you're going to grumble about, well, what is wrong with these people? You know, but you're going to do it. And that's, that's who we are. Um, you know, we need to find ways that we can all contribute to improving the world. And just by acting through kindness and compassion to the world around us and extending the compassion that we would extend to our family, let's extend that compassion to the animals next to us and to the ocean and to, you know, to, to the trees. Um, you know, let's not, let people carve in trees and spray paint trees. And, you know, we need to protect what we have here. And the coronavirus is a great reminder that we have not taken anything that is, is sacred uh, to us, which is our, our earth around us, and treated it as such. We have used it as an exploitative resource feature for big businesses to make tons of money. And we're all paying the, we're all paying the price now. I mean, whether you're sick in the water you know, or you're sick environmentally like I am, um, or you have a cancer that comes in that you're able to deal with and, and, and catch it early and get rid of it, um, or you have a chronic illness like asthma. All these things do come from the environment around us. So we really, really do need, uh, yeah, or cut down 100-year-old oak trees. This, that's a terrible idea. I mean, and you know, now we can't even imagine the repercussions of people like Bolsonaro opening up the Amazon for destruction. When I was in Peru, the Amazon was already being destroyed just by poor people that had no other choice. And as soon as companies are allowed to do that, it's not only going to displace more people that were able to live off the land, it's going to displace so many animals that our, our entire ecology is going to go unbalanced. And Andrea says it's true. Uh, we need to remember that every small action we take is important. Yes, absolutely. And you know, worldwide, if we are all... Um, little eco Roombas and we leave the room better than we found it, <laughs> you know, it makes a difference. So remember, there's two ways we can fight back. I know that it feels so overwhelming right now, but remember that the way that you live and the way that you are will fight what's happening around us. And, you know, we need to come back to the compassion element for a second because, again, you know, this coronavirus has brought out a lot of very sort of racist memes. Um, a lot of, I see a lot of things saying that, you know, uh, well, if China can get this under control, then we won't be sick. And it's, it's, you know, we've talked about this on the show before. It's easy to place the problem in some foreign conceptualized idea that you have of a place than to, to realistically understand that it's a worldwide problem and it's a, which requires a worldwide solution. Um, this goes back to plastics. People are always saying that the Asian countries are putting the most plastics into the water. It's absolutely false. It's hundred percent false. U.S. is the leading manufacturer of nurdles, which are the little teeny plastic balls that end up in the water. And we're also export the most of our plastics to these countries 
the biar plastics for recycling because most of these places uh, have to do that. They need secondhand plastics and they recycle them and they buy them from us. Um, and we have to remember that China uh, is a country that is, is richer than we are. And we have to remember that China buys our plastics to, they have, they're one of the few countries in the world that has the proper machines to take in plastics, pound them into polyester and then send them back out. So if you're wearing polyester, um, there's a huge percentage chance. Well, first of all, polyester is plastic, but there's a huge chance that it was created into thread uh, in China, which they've been doing for about 30 years now. So that's our main thing. Um, yes, Molly says, um, yes, but I don't believe in a one world government. Yeah, no, definitely. We don't need that. <laughs> we don't need that. The, the, the little local governments we have are do a bad enough job. Um, you know, governments themselves are very complicated. Now, the problem is, is that um, the important agencies have all been slashed. The CDC, we lost 80 percent of them. We have no we have no scientists here. Um, we've lost about 40 percent of the EPA. Oh, and then we got to remember, too, if you're eating meat these days, you got to remember that they stopped the USDA inspections by around 80 percent. So the meat that you are eating, um, about 20% of it's been inspected. And, you know, and again, this is where going back to local farmers go. I personally don't eat meat. So, um, you know, I, I don't have that issue. But if you do, just be careful. Remember, product of the USA doesn't mean it was raised in the USA. It means that it was processed in the USA. Um, and with so much bushmeat coming over and bushmeat causing additional viruses and diseases, we don't actually have a track. Uh, in this country of possible outbreaks. So, hey, Vicky, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Vicky, another fantastic, um, you know, water warrior and another great activist, uh, same as Molly. And so it's nice to see everybody on here. And, you know, this is the thing, like, you know, I, I've still been in the city and people say, well, aren't you afraid of coronavirus? Um, you know, my cancer comes from environmental problems. So I am highly aware that the environment misused by man causes illness and disease. I, I live it every day. I've been living it for 15 years. I'm highly aware that my tap water may be so corrupted that it may have been part of the cancer. I live in Los Angeles. You know what nobody talks about in Los Angeles are the oil wells. There's oil wells everywhere. You know, that causes cancer, too. A lot of uh, oil workers here were constructed. Just recently, Patagonia did a video um, highlighting this this really obvious problem. You know, um, what they do is they build these beautiful things over it. So what I'm saying is somebody like me, uh, I know that the environment can, can give you uh, death and disease. Um, people that have thought everything's fine and that the environment's OK and everything's OK and it's OK to let businesses dump their their toxins into the water because like Love Canal, there's no repercussions. You know, I don't know. Those people are shocked, right? They're shocked. Ah, you know, we get a disease from nature. No, obviously we do. We've been doing it a long time and a lot. And I'm one of many, many, many that already know this because many, 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 many people have what I have. I'm not alone in my battle, but I feel alone and everyone feels alone in our battle because it's not highly publicized because if it was, the companies would have to start writing checks for killing a bunch of us. And they don't want to do that. So uh, not to get too far off topic, but 
you know, I mean, if we come back to the, the, the actual um, and to just bring it back now to the actual definition of the ecology of disease, we have to remember that it's a term used by biologists and economists, biologists and economists. So it's fascinating that one term would be used by a biologist who's only interested in the propagation of animals and understanding them, and the other one by an economist whose only a, a interest is understanding the propagation of the human economy. So we, that term alone proves to us that man's actions and nature are tied together and the fate of the two are intertwined. And, and currently they're intertwined in a way like we've never seen before. So, and this, and, and again, back to the coronavirus, um, I don't wanna like really talk much about what it is because I don't know much about the coronavirus itself, but I do know that what we're seeing is a panic and a reaction to the first time people are understanding that the environment can kill you. Um, Pollution's not working for us. And the way that we're doing our farming is not working for us on this big scale industries. Big ag is not working for us. Um, gold mining is not working for us. These are all things that, um, you know, unfortunately are protected. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of times tradition is the excuse to stop progress. So we need to find a fantastic way to, to let our traditions move forward and to develop into ways that are sustainable, both for the cultures and for the people involved. And I think we can do that. We're all very, excuse me, willing at this point to work together and be a team together. So, um, you know, now we come to the, uh, the topic of wild live markets. Um, Wildlife markets that I've seen around the world have been quite extreme. Um, they, th there's a lot, there's, there's not a lot of sanitary stuff going on. Um, but again, if you're a Western audience member, please don't be shocked by this because um, it is, um, you know, you're going to see a monkey carcass. You're going to see live animals. But again, you know, meat is kind of a slippery slope. And if you think about the people that live with food insecurity every day, please understand that they're eating what's their resources. And, um, you know, it's the same thing in China. They have these wildlife markets. Um, for them, they, they hold on to a lot of tradition. But we have to remember that the, these things are there. So we have to address people's poverty. We have to address the fact that we live in a world where there's so much wealth and so much poverty. And in between those two is born these types of illnesses. This stuff doesn't have to happen. And every case of it happening is a disgrace and a failure on the part of each society. Because we're, we're past it now. We've evolved. You know, uh, we've really evolved. Um, forget all about the gold miners. Exactly. Oh, Vicky, the gold miners are just a nightmare. They're in Costa Rica. Uh, Pete uh, just busted a bunch of them in um, in the national park in Costa Rica, in in the Amazon, which stretches six countries. They go and they go on the riverbanks, and all the mercury flows in, and it kills all the wildlife, and it poisons the water, and it's toxins, and children are being born, stillborn. There's a lot of issues that are coming out from these gold miners, legal or illegal, it does not matter. What is this insatiable appetite for gold? It's not even a real thing. It's a mineral. Okay, we didn't have we didn't have uh, cars back in the day. We had what'd you have? You had some pretty stuff back in the day. You had some gold. Fantastic. We're in a new world now. We have a worldwide market, and the problem is, is that as things maintain for markets, and gold being a standard of a market, I understand that um, we are gaining more and more hybrid diseases and we're dying at a higher rate than ever. And again, I want to bring this back. 
pollution kills 12.8 million people a year. So you can tell me what the flu number is or the corona number is or the whatever number is. The main thing is around the world, over 12 million, almost 13 million people die from environmental pollution and lack of ability to have clean water. This is, that's a pandemic. Now people need to start panicking and making their politicians address that. You know, because you can buy bottled water, you don't think about it. You're like, yeah, it's fine, there's a solution. No, this is really, really important. The biggest killer right now is allowing these companies to continue to poison our health in our environment. The earth can't handle it anymore. It's, it's like a sponge. It's, it's, it's absorbed all the toxins it can from all these companies. And none of these companies are paying for our health care. So, you know, um, I, don't, I don't know what, what, what the takeaway of that is. But we, we, know, we all know we need to make a change. Uh, anyway, uh, Molly, yes, pollution is not working for us. Love that. And uh, Vicky says, yes, we forget about the gold miners. And Vicky says, I, I know I stopped watching Gold Rush because I figured it out finally. You know, Vicky, I have to say, I, I love that show when I first started watching it. I was like, this show is incredible. And it's amazing how man figures out how to do all this stuff in this sluice box. And, but then you start to realize that it's only half the story and the majority of those chemicals they use, the runoff that goes into the water, it is so destructive. And just the destruction, I mean, even the guys that go in Alaska with those giant vacuums and pull gold from the seabed destroy so many animals and so much ecosystem for a couple dollars. And what's going to happen? They die, they pass those dollars on to somebody and, you know, for what? And, and the world is destroyed for what? Like this is, what always amazes me is that people are so inventive to destroy the world. But why, why, if we had put that same passion into saving it, I think we could be really phenomenal. Um, anyway, uh, Vicky, all right. And then Molly says, uh, greed has a lot to do with it also. Absolutely, absolutely. And Molly, absolutely. And this is the problem is that greed is, goes unfettered. And these Fortune 500 companies are allowed to do whatever they want to the environment around them. And this includes Ikea destroying all the, the old growth forests in Romania. This includes Mosaic destroying the rivers in Florida. This includes uh, Big Sugar destroying the rivers. This includes everything. And the problem is the only people that can stop it are now gone. And that would have been the EPA. And the EPA never did that. I mean, they, they, you know, they were created by Nixon, uh, Republican initiative to stop, you know, people putting their tires and cars on the side of riverbanks. People don't know what to do. They're just like, oh, it doesn't matter. We don't care. It's rubber. It'll last forever. We were so dumb in the 50s and 60s. It was the it was the dark ages, total dark ages. So now that we know more, I think things are a lot better. And what we're missing is nobody is fighting for us. There's nobody fighting for us. You know, we're citizens. We fight for ourselves. We go to local meetings. We go to local things. We, we don't have one person out there fighting for us. And any of the companies that were fighting for us have are now gone uh, or run by coal lobbyists. <laughs> so again, I bring back the EPA. The one pe person that's supposed to help us is, is a coal lobbyist and he's not going to help us. So, you know, he actually is the one that opened up selling national land to oil. So, uh, you know, that's fantastic. Go get everybody else sick. So, you know, we are at a point where we need to find a balance. We always talk about, you know, um, we are that moral sliding scale between environment and economy. And, and again, it comes back to your vote, right? It comes back to your vote. Please go to that website that I, I put up there. I, I encourage everybody to go down and Google that website, League of Conservation Voters. 
and they've put together tons of data, unbiased data, both sides of the aisle. Look at who you're voting for. Um, you know, look at what's happening there. Dirk says, greed is the heart of everything. Yes, very true. The ruthless greedy have written all of history, of course. And you know what, Dirk, that, that's it's profound because everything that we know as a cultural history is fake. It's written by our leaders. Think about that. Your entire understanding of history is written by generals. And, you know, everyone can tell me about the Peloponnesian Wars, right? Well, I mean, not everybody, but I mean, people can tell me about the Peloponnesian Wars, but nobody can tell me uh, what the main pottery was back then or what the main song was, to, you know, the number one song of the time or who the philosopher was from that era or anything. Nobody knows because nobody's given the opportunity to truly understand the history and then the hidden history of the corporations that hide behind all these wars. Uh, great example, the Iraq war, the history of an oil invasion rewritten by the leaders as a um, we had to do it for oil event. We had to do it uh, to save the people. I mean, I'm sorry. I always forget what their, what their uh, reasoning was. Um, anyway, that's it's very true. So, you know, we I think we as a culture now can educate each other. And that's that's what's important. You know, music, documentary, books, you know, um, watching people that have traveled, traveling, looking, finding things yourself. You know, and if you can't help support the people that do and go and fight on the front lines, you know, we're changing from TV hosts and movies and actors, you know, uh, to um, real people out in the field. And we don't have time to play around. You know, we need music that that that, that helps our consciousness. We need healing in every fashion. Um, and, you know, behind me is oh, behind me over here is my preemptive surfboard. Two things for me that have healed me. One, my surfboard, because it keeps me in the ocean and it keeps me close and it keeps me feeling the physical motion of nature. And a lot of times we're very wrapped up in concrete and we don't have that rhythm with us. So we forget that nature's alive and it is alive. And the other thing is preemptive. <laughs> I'm always over the wrong shoulder. Oh, gosh, here we go, guys. Preemptive CBD. Um, and again, for me, it's a fantastic tool because it comes back to using a natural plant through a natural process to do natural healing inside of us. So I think it's really, um, <coughs> pardon me, it's very critical. <clears throat> yeah, Camilla makes a good point. Wealth before health. That has been the order of the day until now. And I, I really feel that we can turn this around. I think we can change it. We've seen massive changes. If somebody says it can't be done, they probably don't want it to be done. Um, you know, Noam Chomsky brings up an excellent point that, you know, uh, if people tell you that it can't be done, it's because they, yeah, they just don't want the system to be changed. And for anybody that says it can't be changed, think about the fact that we no longer live in the feudal system. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, things do change over time. Uh, Ines says, keep going, Eric. It's so important. Everything you're casting light on. And I really appreciate your presence in our world. This is my cousin, by the way. This is my cousin, my cousin, Dina. Hey, Dina. I uh, love you, cousin. I'm fighting and talking and educating and loving every day. So I don't always weigh in or comment, but I see you and I share and support you in mind and energy. And you know what, Dina, that's the number one thing is as long as you, where you are, are using every form of conflict. Most people love conflict. Don't buy into it. Don't bite into it. Don't take that bait. Take that conflict and use it as a moment to open a door and a conversation and just pop a seed in there. You know, you're never going to walk away convincing somebody of, of something that you've come to terms with that maybe you think is important. But the beauty is if you just pop those seeds in, 
through course of time, truth always wins out and people will grow their own flowers in their minds based on the truth, their experience and the seeds that they've been allowed to have. You know, and the problem is a lot of people have not been given these uh, seeds of positivity or these seeds of future or these seeds of connection to nature. Um, most people have been given seeds of, you know, fear of foreigners, fear of others, fear, just fears, fear seeds are really cheap. <laughs> uh, good seeds for the mind, not always cheap. Sometimes take, take some work, a little blood and sweat, but nonetheless are important. So I really appreciate that everyone's out there doing that. And I think it is the number one thing we can do is to just keep this conservation conversation. The world needs us. The world needs us to to be persistent. The world needs us to always be talking. The world needs us to vote for the right people. Um, the world needs us to, you know, not throw a plastic trash on the ground. You know, the world needs us and we need the world and we are the solution. So please don't feel overwhelmed or discouraged by everything going on in conservation or all the fear hype on the coronavirus. It is, it is a virus, be careful. Um, but remember that we have ways to change everything and we have ways to make the future different and better. And one thing we need to do is to come back into, into you know, one-on-one, um, -on -one, understand that our fate and the fate of nature are intertwined and make sure that the people that we are talking to and allowing to be in charge of things have that view and have that way forward because uh, anything else they're focused on is just going to be a slow suicide for us. Uh, Molly says, truth will always win out, faith not fear. Molly, I agree 100%, faith always Always truth, truth always wins out. Truth will grow and truth is consistent, you know, and you get all these other people um, like, you know, politicians and all these other people. Their truth is whatever they need to have a vote at the moment or a dollar at the end of the week. Um, we need to have this beautiful movement back to living true to us. And that's what I love about my family here on the conservation conversation is everybody here does that. You know, it's always very inspirational to me because everybody lives their truth and speaks their truth. And as long as we do that, we are, without even knowing it, uh, become great examples. And, and like I said, we pop seeds in everywhere that we can. Uh, Camilla, thank you. No, Camilla, thank you for always being on the show and always promoting healthy lifestyle, healthy way of thinking. You know, it comes back to an alignment of, of making sure your soul, your body, and your heart and your mind are all positive and keeping yourself away from all that negative energy. Um, you know, the Rastas always, you know, talk about um, pure heart and clean hands. So, you know, if you approach things that way, things will come back that way. And, you know, we've just, like I said, we've allowed the guys that don't even know how to think that way to run for the show too long. Dirk says, uh, amazing man, Eric, amazing talker, equally superb listener. Thank you. You know, there's so much to learn still, right? <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, that's why I love the show, because uh, we get to talk. All of us get to talk. This is my favorite thing when we're all on here. I love having guests, but I love lively discussions like today where I'm seeing so many interesting conversations. And, and everybody, listen, if you have any links to uh, things that we should consider, think about um, ways that we can live healthier on a day to day basis, ways that we can keep our immunity systems healthy on a day to day basis, ways that we can force these companies to change things on a day-to-day -day basis. Please add any links now after the show. I'm going to go back and add more links as well. Um, and remember, we have the power to change things. And the one way we can change things is not by staying home and being afraid of the coronavirus. The one way we can change things is by voting people in that align with our values of the environment. And if you can please make the environment your number one priority this election season, 
<clears throat> you've given everything else a chance. Uh, guns have had their own election. You know, uh, welfare has had its own election. Everything has had its own election and everything is always hanging in the balance and everything is always toyed to us by both sides of the aisle. Don't fall for it. None of it's going to really improve unless the economy improves for the working people. And that is on nobody's um, policy. So if they're not going to help us on that, let's protect ourselves and let's try to vote for the environment. Vote for the environment. Do not look at the environment through the lens of your political party, but look at your political party through the lens of the environment, you know, because it's all we have right now. And, you know, we can go out and protest and we can we can fight. We can fight in our own way. But please remember, we want to make changes day to day. We want to make changes locally. We want to make changes nationally. We want to make changes internationally. And this is our passion. Same as everyone's passion here. I know on the show with me, um, Molly says, let medicine be your food. You are what you eat. You know, Molly, that is a fantastic quote. Um, it is a beautiful, beautiful quote, and I believe it goes back to Greek time. Let thine medicine be thine food. And um, uh, I'm not sure if somebody might be able to, I think it also goes back to biblical times as well. So it's, a bit, it's been in a philosophy everywhere, and it's super, super critical. And it's very difficult because right now they're panicking. Everybody's panicking, and everybody's taking all the food. And... Um, you know, it's, I mean, for me, like what I do now is I, I do um, farmer's markets. My farmer's market was overwhelmed last week. So it's kind of the only place you can get it. But you know what? I don't mind the lines there. Um, and it's supporting local farmers. And, you know, maybe one thing we can all think about is, is, is going back to supporting our local fellow workers, our local farmers, our local people, you know. And I'm sorry, you might not get your, you know, you might not get your, um, you know, your food at bargain basement prices, but if food quality matters, food quality can cost more, but they also need to pay us more. Again, it all goes back to poverty and food insecurity. And if you've never experienced it, you're very lucky. Um, you know, I mean, I, I've only experienced it very temporarily, and I was very happy when I didn't have to anymore, and we should all feel very lucky that we're not in that situation right now. And even if your stores are out of stuff, it's not it's not a true panic because you know that more food's coming. But just imagine if they shut down and that was it. So food insecurity drives a lot of these bad markets. The only way to save the environment is to save the people. And the only way to do that is to give them access to decent lives all the time. So we have to maintain kindness. We have to remember that, you know, coronavirus is not an Asian disease. It's not a foreigner disease. It's not... You know, uh, keeping foreigners and none of this stuff is good for our minds, our bodies or our souls. Everybody is our brother and sister. And the only thing we can do is make sure that everybody should have access to food, shelter, love and everything that, that we do. You know, that we're lucky enough to. So, um, you know, again, just if you can approach the world with love, try to understand where people are coming from and vote environment, vote environment. I don't care what party you are. It doesn't matter. Uh, there's good on both sides and there's bad on both sides. So the only thing that doesn't change is policy on environment. So vote for that. <laughs> anyway, it's really great to have everybody here today. Very exciting episode. Um, ecology of disease. Yeah. From wild animals to domesticated animals to humans. Transference of diseases through bushmeat um, and bushmeat. And, you know, again, I just want to come back up to the fact that, um, you know, 
these diseases mostly have started from human actions that change the natural world around us. And that is a big, big problem. Um, and again, more examples of these diseases just to take in. We talked about AIDS, but there's also Ebola. There's West Nile, SARS, Lyme disease. The majority of these are one. And, and don't forget, too, it has economic impact. I mean, just look at what Corona fear has done to the stock market. So um, no matter how you see it, you really need to we need to change, whether you think of it on an economic scale or on a personal scale or on a human scale. It really does need to make make a big change. Um, and again, it's not a public health issue only. It's also an economic issue. And it's interesting because before this happened, the World Bank estimated that a severe influenza pandemic back in the day, right? <laughs> it was influenza. It was like kind of a simple one um, could cost the world economy three trillion dollars and here we are corona 19 costing the world trillions and trillions of dollars too uh sarah siegel and animal agriculture 100 percent, sarah i agree with you 100 percent. we need to let the local farmers go back to do their thing um mass scale agricultural farming is is massive problem they're pouring tons of toxins into local rivers they're getting communities sick they have runoff they have feces runoff. They have all kinds of problems, and they're not handling it well, um, aside from just the, the barbaric aspects of how things are done in that kind of a thing. Um, and again, if you are out there, my friends, and you're eating meat, be careful. Think about the bush meat. Think about the USDA basically getting laid off before all this happened, and support your local farmers um, or eat veggies and fruits that you know uh, don't have uh, multiple layers of possible infectious diseases. There are no, there are viruses in plants, don't get me wrong, but there are no viruses in fruits or veggies ever known to man. So just keep that in mind. Obviously, you can't eat, you know, all plants because some will kill you. <laughs> but yeah, you, uh, you know, fruits and veggies are still solid, no known diseases unless it's E. coli, which generally comes from the runoff of these animal agricultural farms into our smaller farms, at least here in the United States. Jason, thanks for being here today, and it's really great to have you on. I uh, hope you join us uh, every week. I know everybody, I've been a little inconsistent. Um, I, you know, uh, myself um, have been sort of battling a little bit for my health, and uh, sometimes I'm, I'm a little off kilter, so I'm going to be getting back into a regular routine very soon. Um, and you know what, Dirk, a show centered around overpopulation, I love that, because that's actually a topic that I would love to talk about. And um, I would love to talk about that. And I actually, guys, before we go, I almost forgot. I had a video that I wanted to share with everybody, a video that I made with Pete Bethune down in Iquitos, where the dengue fever we were talking about, where the children are now dying at a, at a record rate because people are moving into where they shouldn't. Loggers are going into where they shouldn't, destroying all the birds, letting all, all the, the mosquitoes come in. And what I want to do is just show you an example of a live market so that, the, again, to bring home the idea of food insecurity, and to remember that unless you live out in the in the fields or you're rich, this is where you shop. In, and this is in Peru, but it's also in a lot of countries. And I just want to remind everybody of this. And you know what, Dirk? Next, I'm going to do next week on overpopulation because you got me excited. Overpopulation is a great topic and it ties in perfectly to ecology of disease and it ties in perfectly to so many other aspects. But uh, first, I, I did want to show you all just this quick video. It's about two minutes and it'll give you an idea of you know, everyone talks about open markets. Um, this is not a live animal market like they talk about in China, um, but it is a live animal market because 
there are live eels, there are live frogs, there are live, I don't, I'm not highlighting a lot of this because I'm not trying to upset people or viewers, but I want you to understand what's going on there. But you can get um, dogs, you can get frogs, you can get chickens. There's a lot of live markets out there and it's not an uncommon thing um, and it's not a Chinese thing and it's not a coronavirus thing. Um, it is an unsanitary thing. It's a thing that's been going on for thousands of years though. Um, but again, it's a complicated thing. Anyway, here, check, check this out. I want to show you all. This is, um, and again, this is, this is a black diamond. So just to let everybody know at this point, we've been gone for a few months deep in, and then we found out that all the animals that were being poached were being sent to this Bellin market. And so we came to the Bellin market as a way to investigate. And this is where we were able to set up a sale for uh, an anaconda. And this says, it's incredible that nature cries out for our help and even more incredible that nobody listens. And this was put together by a um, elementary school. and this is a really sketchy area here and we're just going to take you through and show you the different fish many of them illegal that are on sale here like I've been staggered how much illegal stuff is for sale and here we have half a dozen baiche baiche the limit is 1.6 meters in length these ones here would be around one meter long so they're undersized secondly baiche is out of season you're not allowed to catch baiche at the moment uh, so it's illegal to catch them and sell them so that's illegal we have Yellow-footed turtle for sale. Other turtles for sale down there. Technically illegal. Locals can harvest them and eat them themselves, but they're not allowed to sell them. So that's illegal. We have oil or, or grease from black caiman. Black caiman protected, not allowed to touch them, and yet they're selling grease in the market. The size of these are supposed to be 86 centimeters. For those in America, 86 centimeters is about that big. These ones, you'd be lucky if they were 30. This is a this is a black cayman. As you can tell because yeah, just see how it doesn't have it. Look at this one. See how it's got the white on it. This one doesn't have the white. Look how big this is. That's a big, big animal, huh? So uh, there we go. I wanted to show you all um, just what an example of a regular market is like around there. Um, and this is the thing is, <clears throat> yeah, if we can get these people ways to have food accessibility without having to go there and buy endangered caiman tail or monkeys, um, then, you know, I think it's, again, it's a worldwide solution that we need to, to consider and we need to enact. And um, I know it might sound very idealistic, but it's fine because as long as there's a few of us in every country trying to improve conditions for animals and people, We'll eventually get there. So uh, anyway, I think it's a very exciting prospect. Um, Camilla says, yes, and, 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 and animal agriculture. The things we do to sentient beings is utterly despicable. And I agree. I agree. I think it's very difficult. Um, you know, I mean, there are, yeah, it's very, it's just very difficult. And again, it's, it, it ties into what Dirk was saying about overpopulation. Uh, and we will talk about that next week, actually, because overpopulation is a major issue that contributes to food insecurity. And 
again, in America here, we're getting our first taste of food insecurity. And we're also getting our first taste of what it feels like to know that something might wipe us out. And this is something that, you know, who knows if if the white rhino knew that, you know, but the population knew it. Um, we've watched so many animals go extinct in our lifetime. And we continue because we don't care because they're not us. So the moment something like this happens, people start talking about the plague and all this other stuff. But I mean, in, in all honesty, um, how we affect the environment destroys species. We can't continue this way. And now we're destroying ourselves as a species and people are actually seeing it. Uh, there was always enough talking points before for people to be able to ignore it. So, <laughs> but no longer. Um, and again, whether you're on one side or the other of Corona, it doesn't matter. Just remember that um, what we do affects how we get, how we are and how we can be. So Camilla says we need solutions for people too. Absolutely. Nobody wants to, to do this really. Same in slaughterhouses. Nobody's take that job. Yeah. You know, the people that I've met that work on the front lines of these things on both sides, um, it's very difficult. You know, a lot of these poachers are placed in these positions. And again, poverty is the main driver that causes people to, um, to have to take these kinds of jobs. So, you know, whether you think that the, the economy is intentionally or unintentionally the way that it exists, whether you believe in the free market or you think it's a rigged game to keep workers working, um, either way, what we do have is a problem a problem with that, you know, and we need to give people opportunity. So remember, everybody deserves opportunity and love, and we have to look past the people that are doing these things for a living or the way that they live. And we have to remember that food insecurity is a massive driver for everybody, and we have the resources to not have to live that way. So, you know, if we had to explain this to aliens that just landed, they would think we were idiots. <laughs> what do you do with all your money? Well, you know, we buy cars. Um, anyway. That's just my take on it. Uh, I hope I get to talk to the aliens when they do land and ask me, what the heck's going on down here? Um, yeah, Dirk, I do agree. Overpopulation is the center of all the problems, and we are definitely going to get into that next week. Thank you for bringing that topic up. I love it. And, man, thanks for being on the show. I, I always like seeing you You come up here. Dirk's one of my absolute best friends, So, um, and we have a lot of really heavy discussions all the time, um, and it's, it's fantastic. So it's nice to have you here as part of this conversation, too. And it's been a great conversation, everybody, today. Thanks again, Andrea. Thank you, Camilla. Thanks, Jason, for being here. I want to thank everybody for participating. Uh, Carrie, adding in information. Carrie Bowers and Carrie David, two of my favorite Carries. Uh, Molly, of course, always wonderful to see you here. And Molly, a, a big advocate of eating healthy, living healthy. And Molly's actually been giving me some advice on uh, some natural supplements as well. And... Uh, you know, and, and a couple of my other friends. Um, so it's been fantastic. And thank you, Andrea. Great to talk about this with everybody. So everybody remember, stay safe. I hope everybody's feeling okay and feeling healthy. And uh, we'll all get through what's happening right now. We're all going to get through it. But will we get through the next one? Let's go ahead and push forward and see what we can do to open conversations with all of our friends that are normally closed off. Because while they're scared right now is a perfect opportunity to where they're worried and you can understand and give them some empathy for their worrying and let them know you understand why they worry. But also, you know, we have a way we can change it. And we can change it by voting for people that are not going to put us back in a food insecurity issue. We have a way to change it by acting through our daily life. And we have a way to change it on a bigger global scale. So thank you, everybody. Nice to see you. Sarah, thanks for being here. And uh, excellent. See, Sarah is vegan, so I'm sure you've been you've been doing great on the, on the whole uh, live.
lockdown thing. And uh, as we know, as vegans, we don't really get those kind of disease issues. So, <laughs> uh, yes, and then animal ag. Uh, and Jared Weiss, Weissfellner, hup, hup. <laughs> Good to see you, Jared. All right, thanks, everybody. Thanks, Molly. Everybody have a great day. Have a great week. I will see you all again.